0: Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Pastor Brian Dwyer, joined in the studio by Pastor Ross Anderson and today, my beautiful wife, Tracy. Tracy, thanks for joining us today. It's kind of a special occasion. We've been waiting for a long time to start this series that we're starting today, and we're going to continue it through the next 12 weeks. Ross, we're talking about the series on PursueGod.org called The Pursuit. How would you describe
1: The Pursuit to someone who's never heard of it before? Yeah, you know Jesus calls us to make disciples. The Bible says to make disciples who make disciples, and everybody has you know thought about what that is. But there's not a lot of tools available to every to people around there. So to the average ordinary Christian, to say how can I make a disciple in somebody of somebody in my life? I'm not theologically trained. I'm not a seminary uh, educated, etc. So the pursuit, we said, look, well, what are the core things? that we would want to take somebody through, that if they master these core fundamental principles and ideas, that they're really equipped to go make disciples. And so we've tried to boil that down, you know, you could spend years talking about this stuff, but we're going to boil it down into a core nugget series that exposes someone to the ideas in the Bible about making disciples, but it walks uh, our listeners through the topics that they'll need to master in order to help someone go full circle in their relationship with God. Okay, so
0: that's good. Now that that's an, that's an explanation from the vantage point of a Christian. So if you're listening to this and you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you've never discipled anyone before, you've heard about that, maybe someone discipled you, but you've never had the privilege, that was a great inter- introduction for that person, that man or woman, Tracy, how would you explain it? Because it would be maybe a little different. How would you explain it to the person who's coming to this first topic, who is new to Christianity, maybe just investigating Christianity? They've just maybe just started going to church, or or maybe a friend has invited them to go through the pursuit with them. How would you describe the pursuit to that person?
2: Yeah, what we would hope is that it would be giving you a picture of what— really it means to pursue God. Who is Jesus? What does he mean for your life? Um, You know, for a lot of people, religion has a lot of um, baggage with it, and maybe you've thought about a pursuit of God as just following a bunch of rules and checking boxes, and maybe you have a lot of self-righteous people in your life, and it's been a little bit unappealing, what we hope is that the pursuit's going to lay out the picture of what the Bible is about and who Jesus is and what he did for you and what it means for your life moving forward uh, in this life in the life to come.
0: Yeah, that's good. Okay, so today in the first lesson, this introductory lesson, we're, we're, we're going to talk about three truths for every pursuit. So for someone who's saying, okay, I want to pursue the God of the Bible. I'm new to this, and, and I want to know really in this first lesson and the next couple lessons, like what is God's attitude toward me? What is his heart toward me? What are some of the basic things I need to know about the God of the Bible, the God, the picture of the God of the Bible? Because if you if you're, if you're trusting the picture that's been painted by media, you know, liberal media, I'll just say it's the wrong picture. If you're trusting the picture that's been painted maybe by a Christian friend, quote unquote Christian friend, possibly you got the wrong idea, maybe you grew up in a religious family or you went to a church and you got a certain picture of God, we want you to get rid of that picture. And starting today and over the next 12 weeks, we want to give you a more biblical picture of the God of the Bible in his, in his heart towards you. And I guess we should start with kind of the big idea of today's lesson. Really, it's the big idea of this whole series. It's that God promises that those who make a genuine commitment to pursue him will find him. In other words, God doesn't play hide-and-seek with us. We're going to look at a verse here at the end of today's lesson that really bears that out. But I think it's also important for us to understand that the pursuit of God is a journey, it's not just a destination. Now, there is a destination. You know, the Bible promises heaven, the Bible promises a relationship with God, the Bible promises um, eternity with God, and we'll get to all of that throughout this series, but the reason we're calling this 12-week series The Pursuit is because it really is about a pursuit. It's about a journey. It's about you making a commitment to walk with God, with other people, toward God. And that's, those are the, all, the, all the themes that we're going to be touching on as we, as we kick this series off today. And I think maybe a good way to start before we even get into the three truths for every pursuit of God, a good way to start is to encourage people out there to evaluate their own standing with God right now. Where do you where do you stand with God? You know, if you think of a continuum maybe in your minds, think of a continuum from less left to right. On the on the left you feel far from God and on the far end on the right you feel close to God. And the question is where would you put yourself? On that continuum, I don't know, Ross. Where, where, you know, years ago, where would
1: you, before you really knew the God of the Bible, where would you have placed yourself on that continuum? Well, that's a great question. It's really interesting because I grew up in a religious home, and so I would have, I would have probably have placed myself on the far right, mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't really understand what it meant to know God or who God really was, and I had to go through a period of time where that religious upbringing had to be deconstructed by life. And by God, really, in a sense, to, for me to realize, really, I was. And there came to be a point where I said, look, I really am far from God. I need to figure God out. I need to figure out who He is and how to know Him.
0: Mm-hmm. Tracy, for you, you, you you, and I both grew up in Christian homes. But for you, there was probably a, a period in your life in college where you would have answered this differently maybe than when you were in grade school, right?
2: Yeah, uh, definitely, I was raised in a Christian home, and I would have, and I believe I had a genuine commitment to Jesus when I was like six or seven years old. But maybe for a lot of you out there, what happened for me is as I got older, and uh, certainly into high school and college, I was kind of bucking up against: Do I really believe this, and am I really submitted? to a life to Jesus and wanting to honor him? Or, or do I want to pursue him on my terms? And I had to, so there was a point at which I felt very far from God and had kind of a radical experience of him kind of calling me back to him and mm-hmm. recognizing that I was not uh, pursuing him in a genuine way.
0: Yeah. So wherever you place yourself on that continuum, this first point really is for everyone, but I would say it probably is going to speak the most to the person who's on the left side of the continuum, someone who feels far from God. Maybe someone who feels like um, God isn't interested in a relationship with them. There might be some listening to this podcast right now who would say, I don't if you knew if you only knew what I've been through, what I've thought about, what I've the sins I've committed in my life, if you only knew, then trust me, God would feel far from me not just i feel far from god god doesn't want anything to do with me i think there are a lot of people who get that idea for whatever reason when they think about religion when they think about faith and so here's the first truth for every pursuit of god and it's it's real simple god is for you not against you no matter you know again you might say well you don't know my story no god knows your story god knows everyone's story And God is not afraid of anyone's sin. He's not afraid of of anyone's words, of anyone's actions, of anyone's intentions. He's not afraid of anyone's skeletons in the closet. It really is true. If you read the Bible, we've all read the Bible many times. If you read the Bible, you'll find that God is for you, not against you. In fact, Jesus didn't avoid the broken and the lost and the sinners. Jesus actually sought them out. And Ross, there's such a cool story in Matthew chapter 8. I think this is a great first scripture story to start with if we're really trying to help people to understand the heart of God toward people. We see it in this story of Jesus interacting with a leper. But before we we read the passage, could you explain what leprosy was? Because it's not something we deal with today. And what what was a leper, and how was a leper viewed in society 2,000 years ago?
1: Yeah, leprosy was a skin disease, It or actually a a combination of various different kinds of skin diseases that rendered a person um, in that society, they would isolate them from everybody else. And so if you were were struck in with leprosy, you had to uh, not have any physical contact with anybody. You had to live in quarantine. I mean, we've had, with COVID, we've had quarantine for seven or 10, whatever. This is quarantine all the time mm. from everybody that never ends. And so, and in, fact, in fact, you had to go walk down the street calling out, you know, your affliction so that people could scurry away and not have any, any contact with you. And so it was very socially isolating and very stigmatizing to someone who had that disease. It was horrible.
0: Yeah, and so, you know, uh, certainly a leper felt far from people. They felt far from God and people. And that's what makes this story so powerful. In Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 2, it says, Suddenly a man with leprosy approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. It's really Mm -hmm. interesting to see the heart of this guy. You can just you can see it just in his words. He says, if you're willing. He
1: honestly didn't know if God would right. be willing. He wasn't sure at all because leprosy it was easy to see leprosy as a sign or a symbol of of, of spiritual uh, leprosy, I guess you could say, of sin. Yeah. Yeah. So he said,
0: if you're willing, number one. And then secondly, he said, You can heal me. So we can see that this guy had faith in Jesus' power, in Jesus' ability. You can heal me and make me clean. And what I love about this passage is Jesus reached... Uh, this, a lot of people would just pass right over this verse, but it says Jesus reached out and touched him. Now, right there, that would have been a shocker to anyone in the crowd. By the way, Jesus didn't have to touch the guy. Jesus could have just said, you're healed. Yes, I'm willing you're healed, but he actually touched him. I think there's a reason for that. We're going to get into that today. And then Jesus just came out and said it. He said, I am willing. And then he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. So there's so much in this story that points to the heart of God for people, but especially this is pointing to the heart of God for someone who feels rejected, who feels like a pariah, who feels like God wouldn't wouldn't be interested in, in relating to him at all, and, and much less touching him.
2: Yeah, for me, this part, this passage speaks profoundly to me, not only for my own personal walk with Jesus, but just with my background in counseling and walking with many people through difficult things in life, I've seen people say, I've just, I've messed up too much. I'm just, I'm too broken. I'm defiled. Um, Really see themselves as that leper that's just like, "No, nobody loves me. Nobody wants to love me, especially this cosmic God out there, right? And so To hear about this heart of Jesus, because for me, honestly, you guys, I like during the pandemic, Ross, when you say that, I mean, if you would have seen me in Costco, I was wearing gloves and a hat. (laughs) I like didn't want to have anybody's germs on me or around me in that initial time before we really had a fuller picture of what we were dealing with. I was fearful. I would never have reached out to touch someone. The fact that Jesus touched this leper, was not afraid of his... um, What was plaguing him and to heal him in that moment, I just think is such a powerful example that I hope people hearing this today, that if you have any interest in pursuing this God of the Bible to understand he is not afraid of you, he is reaching out and wants to touch you and to heal you, Um, come to him. Don't be afraid of that.
0: Yeah, for most people, it's easier to believe that God is powerful than to believe that he is good. But the truth of the Bible, we're going to see this throughout this series, is that he's both. He's good enough to care about our everyday lives, and he's powerful enough to do something about it. And, uh, again, the leper understood that he was powerful. Mm -hmm. He said, I know you can heal me. I know you can cleanse me. He said, I'm just not sure if you're willing. I'm I'm not sure if you want to. I'm not sure if you're good. I know you're great. I don't know if you're good. And I think a lot of people view God like that, if they even believe in God they they see this god who is who is has wrath and power and judgment and he's so far away and they know that he's great but they're not sure if he's good. They don't know they don't know his heart and Jesus
1: came to reveal his heart to us. And the the fact is that's really true even for people who are in religious systems. They don't have an assurance that god is for them. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're in a religious system probably. They're trying to prove themselves to God, they're trying to make sure that they can do something that God would then be give favor to them or before them. And so the person who's struggling away in a religious system trying to keep all the rules, but they're, they, maybe they're hitting, you know, eight out of ten, but they still feel the gap of that, too, that they don't make. That, is God really for me? This is good news even for people in, in religion, not, not just for people who might be far, far from faith.
0: Yeah, and let's talk about, just real quick, let's do a quick survey of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are the first four books of the New Testament that that speak of Jesus' life and teachings. You know, Jesus really did shock the religious world with his attitude toward the lost. Here's, here are some people that he chose to hang around with, right? He, he invited fishermen and tax collectors to be his closest followers. He didn't invite the the rich folk he didn't invite the religious elite he didn't invite the Pharisees and the teachers of the law he invited fishermen and tax collectors to be his inner circle so once again we're seeing his heart toward regular people not religious people right he went around touching lepers like we see here in this story he went around um, healing the demon possessed right these are some of the stories that we're gonna we're gonna come across as we read the gospel so you know Matthew eight too, isn't this standalone, this is this outlier where Jesus, in this one case, touched the leper. No, he was always doing stuff like that. In fact, the only people that he seemed to have a problem with, the only people that he had a harsh word for, were really the religious people, or, or, at, or this maybe you should say the self-righteous people. Mm-hmm. Those were the only ones that it seemed like he still was willing to interact with them it's just that they weren't necessarily willing to interact with him right they weren't willing to see it his way and that's the real question are you willing to come to him the the question isn't is he willing to come to you the question is are you willing to come to him so let's speak t- for just a moment to the p- person who's listening to this who feels close to god you know that maybe how you were years ago Ross when you realized that you weren't actually as close to god as you thought and, and this next verse really speaks to that. Mark 2, verse 17, Jesus said, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And this is the great irony of religion. The ones who look the
1: most religious <clears throat> are usually the furthest ones from God. I like to use the analogy of if someone had a medical condition, if you had cancer, you knew something was wrong you know, in your body, you went to the doctor you know, would you even go to the doctor in the first place? Say, no, I've got this, I can heal this myself, I can take care of myself, I'm just going to work out harder, or I'm going to, you know, take more supplements or whatever, um, because I don't want... Because it's it's pride and self-sufficiency. But I I go to the doctor, and until I recognize that I have the disease, I can't get any help. There's no help for me until I recognize that, oh yeah, that diagnosis is correct. And so this is why self-righteousness... Is so uh, works so against the heart of God. God would love in everyone to come to him, but if I don't feel like I need to, if I feel like I'm just good on my own, or I've got God in a little box and I've got him figured out, and, and I, I know what I think he, he expects, and I'm going to please him on my terms, then there's no way I can ever be received by him because I'm not, I'm not, willing, to, um, I'm not willing to admit that I have any kind of need.
2: Yeah, to me, the posture of the leper kneeling before Jesus, I think, is is important of kind of submitting himself to him, understanding that he had the potential or the ability to heal. And I think for, for all of us, as much as I think it's important to say that God is for us and wants relationship with us, there's nothing that would keep God from wanting to be in relationship with us except that if we don't have a posture that says, I trust that you're good and your way is best, so I'm going to put myself, kneel before you and say, I'm going to go your way. I'm going to choose to obey and go with the boundaries that you've set because I believe that you're good, rather than having an attitude of, I'm pretty good on my own. Maybe I'll take bits and pieces of the gospel message or principles in the Bible that I like, but I only need part of it, not all of it.
0: So that's the first truth for every pursuit of God is that God is for you, not against you. And here's the second truth. A pursuit of God can change everything from your eternity, right? So your eternal salvation is on the line here, but also your everyday life is on the line here. A pursuit of God changes all of it. It's not something that just changes where we're going to be in eternity. It changes how we live day in, day out, seven days a week. Jesus wants to give you what we call life to the full. This comes from John 10, 10. It's one of the theme verses for this whole series. Jesus is speaking here. He says, the thief, speaking about Satan, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So that's Satan's intention for you, is to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that people might have life and have it to the full. And so Christianity, what we're pointing to in this 12-week series is a whole different way of viewing Christianity. It's whole life Christianity. It impacts every part of your life, not just your Sundays. It in, it impacts every part of who you are, not just your spirituality. We're going to talk more about this later, that it's going to impact you emotionally, relationally, financially, in every way, and spiritually. It's But what Jesus is after is giving you full life. You know, a lot of people think that Christianity is nothing more than a list of rules to keep us from having fun in life, but Jesus is painting in this verse a totally different picture. Following Jesus actually frees us from the tyranny of ourselves, this constant pull of selfishness that promises so much but delivers so little. So Jesus wants to give us this, this new kind of freedom, this new kind of life, something that a lot of people have actually never experienced before. So guys, it means embracing a, a new vision Let's call it Jesus's vision for our lives, and and the word that we're going to use, and the image that we use throughout this series, is a full circle faith. So if you're watching this, if you've watched the small group video that goes with this lesson today, you'll see that image. Or if you've visited pursuegod.org, you see it all around pursuegod.org. It's this. It's this. It almost looks like the recycle circle, right? Three three arrows that loop back onto themselves. And this image then is, is the basis for—is the picture of Jesus' full, full life that he wants to give us. And it's also kind of the, the structure of this series, of the pursuit series. So the first part of that full circle life is described by this statement. We start a relationship with God by trusting Jesus— Ross, explain this, because I think this was one of the insights that years ago, when you were in another religion that was a very works-based religion, I don't think you understood
1: this first and most fundamental point of of a life in Christ. Right, absolutely. So we say we start by trusting Jesus. What that means is simply trusting him and him alone— for what he's already done. Jesus, that's why he came into the world, that's why he died on the cross, to do everything, to fulfill everything that, that human beings couldn't do. And so he, he kept God's law to perfection, and then he gave his life uh, to pay the penalty for our sin in the model of the Old Testament sacrificial system. He fulfilled that in himself as well. And so, and so instead of it being like Jesus, what Jesus does, and then what I do on top of that, It's just what Jesus does, period. He's enough. He's done everything we need. Um, We don't have to add anything to it. Now, what he did is life-changing. We'll talk about that in the next, um, as we go around the circle. But initially, what I learned was that, look, it's not about um, joining a church. It's not about trying to become a better person. Christianity's not a self-improvement project. It's really, it's about trusting entirely and completely and solely in God the person who did everything that I need and who can change me then from the inside out. So I talk about, often I talk about entrusting your life and your eternity to Jesus Christ. Now,
0: I could hear someone pushing back on this and say, whoa, hey, whoa, are you saying that there's nothing, that I, that I can bring nothing to the table for God, that, no, that there's no work that I can do
1: or that I have to do to save myself. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Good. <laughs> and it is. It's radical. It goes against... Okay, so I'll tell you, I'll, I'll indulge you with a story I had one time. We were, we were passing out water at the, um, at the local community summer celebration. Cold water's hot August day, giving away free water, just as an illustration of this principle. Mm. And so one guy walks up, and he, I offer him a uh, bottle of water. It's ice cold, really refreshing. He, he pulls some cash out of his pocket he he gives me a dollar bill. I said no, it's for free. And he says, "No, I always pay for what I get." I said, "You can have it for free, but you can't buy it." And he walked away. He wow. didn't take the water wow. cuz I always pay for what I get, you know. So that's the heart, that's that's what God is offering to us, free, something free that we don't have to earn. The problem is is when we feel like, you know, it doesn't count unless I have, have paid for it in some way.
0: Yeah, I mean it goes back to that verse from Mark 2 that it's that it's the I've come to for those who know they're sinners, not for those who think they're righteous. So the, the mentality there is I know it's not just I, I have to pay for it. it. It's even worse than that. It's that I can pay for it. Right. That I have some money here. Right. That I have something to offer. And I think as long as you think that, you're far from God. You're further from God than you think. Right. Because God can only work with someone who recognizes they're bankrupt. Right, they have nothing.
1: We think, you know, we think we're earning something from God, but from His perspective, all of the things we do religiously or morally to measure up to Him—they're like monopoly money. Mm. That they, they're no good. You know, God says, "Well, I don't accept that currency of exchange." Yeah, that's good. Now there are so many scripture verses on this. This isn't—we haven't
0: just cherry-picked a couple scripture verses in the Bible to. Prove this fundamental, this first truth of Christianity. It's everywhere in the Bible, but this is one of my favorites Romans chapter 3, verse 22. It says, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Pay attention to the punctuation here, period. It doesn't say semicolon or dash, it says period. So let me read it again. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. It doesn't say, And then doing some things to prove it and then working working and showing our you know giving him as much money as we have and then he's going to make up the rest of it no it's it's just simply by placing our faith in jesus christ and then the second part of the verse i think is addressed to the person who wonders if 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 that is even true for them and it says this and this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are no matter what we've done no matter how far you feel from god you are made right with God by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to talk about this. We're going to dig into this a little bit more in lessons four, five, and six of this series, where we talk about the first part of the arrow. These first few lessons in the series are introductory. The next, the next three lessons are going to address, really dive into that, right? So how, how does that work? that were made right with God only by faith. So we're going to talk about something called sin in Lesson 4. We're going to talk about what Jesus actually did, what the early church taught about Jesus in Lesson 5. And then in Lesson 6, probably the most important lesson in this whole series, especially for someone who's never placed their faith in Jesus, we're going to actually give you an opportunity to do just that in Lesson 6 of the series. So that's the first thing. Let me that's interject. the first if part I, of the If you picture.
1: don't mind, Brian, let me interject. Is what a great... How integrated this is with the point one, the first point about God is for you. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, our listeners have view, what their view of God is. If God is, you know, like we talked about earlier, God is, like, wants to quash you, or he wants to prove, make you work really hard to prove yourself to him, or he's distant, or he's ethereal. or But, but this connects so, so deeply with the point about God is for you, because if God really is for you, then this is what we would expect him to do someone who is really for you and loves you is generous to you they gift you all kind you know but if god is only for himself or if god is only for a system or what then, then this doesn't make sense mm-hmm. but but that it the whole idea of who god is is so important because it it yields this particular consequence this fruit and that's really important to make those connections i think
0: yeah well and also i think to that point is that god god could have just like kind of like the leper story god could have just said I, I, I make you all right. You know, he could have written it in the clouds, like, you're all my children now. You're all, I, I, I get rid of your sin. I hereby declare your sin no longer to be a problem. But that's not what he did. He sent his son, we're going to learn this later on. The core message of the Bible is that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross in our place. So it cost him dearly. And again, which shows his heart for us. Right. And, but it was the only way that we would have a relationship with God. There was no other way we could have done it, because if we could have, we would have. We would have, yeah. If, the Old Testament is filled with stories of just people who keep messing up, and so is modern history, just mm-hmm. filled with stories, us included, of people who are sinners. We're not righteous, we're sinners, and, and, and we recognize it. And so thank God that he sent Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing, is we start a relationship with God by trusting Jesus, now, it doesn't stop there. There's a second part of this three-part full circle, full life that Jesus wants us to have. The second part is that what happens then, once we become Christians, is that this creates a new desire within us to live to honor God. And this, so, you know, the first, the first arrow, trusting Jesus happens in a moment. The moment you trust Jesus, you're saved in an instant. This next thing, the way we live every day now, the next thing happens over time. The next thing changes over time as we, this internal reality that we're now changed from the inside out becomes an external reality over time as we learn to honor God in our daily choices, in our habits, in our disciplines, in our lifestyle. So this is what I would say to the person who who would kind of throw a flag at that first point that, that there's nothing we can do. That doesn't mean that God doesn't care about what we do. And right. people need to understand that God cares about your works. I want people to hear that. God cares about your works. He cares about your choices. He cares about your life. But w- But it's important for us to make this distinction. Your works, your choices, your lifestyle, those things don't save you. What happens is once you're saved, now you begin to interact differently in the world.
2: Yeah, and I think that, Ross, to your point, that to say that if God is for you, then he would want to be generous and giving. And so I think the second arrow is so important in the honoring God, then, is that out of the outflow of understanding this precious gift of life that Jesus has given me, this new heart, this new identity, then of course course the outflow of my life, then, should be reflective of my thankfulness for the gift, right? Not because I need to do that to be right with God, but because I want to do that as a way to honor him. In fact, in Romans six in the NIV translation, the word that Paul uses is that that this teaching, this pattern of teaching, that now has claimed our allegiance. And I like that word allegiance because I think about what what do we do in pledging allegiance to the American flag? What does that look like? You know, people sacrifice and serve in our military and go to dangerous places. And and the idea of allegiance is that you you're, you're loyal, right? So even in our pursuit of God. If I just take the gift and then just live by my own set of rules and have no care or concern about what God wants for me or, or reflecting even his character in my life, then am I really, am I really committed? Am I, do I have an allegiance to him? Am I loyal to God? Or am I selfish and just taking something and then missing this whole rich and satisfying life of living a life that honors God because he knows what's best for us? Beyond just the initial gift of giving us life and forgiveness of our sins, it's He has the guide rails of life reflected in the Bible that tells us this is the way to keep you safe. Mm -hmm. This is the way to a rich and satisfying life, not the things that the world's going to try and sell us.
0: Yeah, and you know, this is, we're going to cover this more in lessons seven, eight, and nine in this series. We're going to take a deep dive. But Ross, one of the things we're going to talk about here is baptism you know the way we describe baptism is it's the it's the it's like the first practical outworking of this new life that we have in Christ baptism doesn't save us you know there's some some that think that you have to be baptized before you get you can be saved actually the bible doesn't teach that it teaches that baptism is is the first practical opportunity for you to show your obedience to God, that you want to go his way, right? So baptism is a symbol of what Jesus did for you. We go into the water, we immerse. When we baptize, in the early church they immersed. most churches today immerse, and immersion is this picture, Romans 6 says it, it's this picture of going down and dying to your old way of life and coming up out of the water like Jesus comes out of the grave to this new way of living. And we want to live a new life way. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it like this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And that's the picture of baptism. But we're going to talk about more than baptism in lessons 7, 8, and 9. We're going to talk about uh, like spiritual disciplines, right? These Some of these things that we do as Christians that help us to stay connected to this new life in Christ, because Jesus used Ross, maybe you can explain this briefly. He used this imagery of a vine and branches.
1: That's a great image because it's so counterintuitive to what most religious approach to to moral lifestyle. Most religions approach a moral lifestyle through like a checklist or kind of like a sense of um, you know eight duties or whatever a, num- a listed numbered list, but. But Jesus says, look, it's more like this. I, when you belong to me, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and if you're connected to me, you're going to bear fruit. And that makes total sense. You know, when I, I grow tomatoes every summer. If a branch gets broken off and cut off, it, it dies. It lays there and dies, and it never produces any tomatoes. As long as it's connected to the plant, it's got the root system, it's got the nutrients flowing through it, it's going to bear fruit. And so what Jesus is saying is that the, the Christian life is not a just, a, it's not about a list of do's and don'ts, but it's about an organic connection to the source of life and how we allow Him to produce whatever he is, his fruit, his life in us, through us, but we have to stay connected. And so things like spiritual disciplines, worship, and Bible reading, and other things, they're, they're, those are not like, oh, dry, dusty uh, obligations that we say, oh, you must do this, you must do this. No, those are ways for us to connect to the to the life and the heart and the, the supernatural power of Jesus flowing through us to produce a different kind of life.
0: Yeah, and the ultimate picture of producing fruit for us as Christians is what the third part of this journey is about, the third part of this circle is about. Jesus said that if you're my followers, you will produce fruit. And part of what he was talking about there, I believe, was making disciples. Matthew 28, 19 says, "...therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit." This is the part of the picture that I think most Christians miss. And, and this is so now we're talking just for a moment here we're speaking to the people who feel close to God. The people who are Christians, they've gone to church a long time. Maybe everything we've talked about here has been a great little reminder, but but you're like, "I don't know if the pursuit is for me. I don't know if this series is for me. It seems a little too fundamental, a little too kind of basic for me. I'm ready for more deeper doctrine. I'm I'm ready. I want to dive into some other stuff." Well, I would I would challenge you to really listen to this next part because <clears throat> the full life that Jesus wants us to have includes getting in the game with Jesus and making disciples. You know, if we're following Jesus, then we're following a disciple maker. Jesus was a disciple maker. He discipled a dozen guys. One of them was a dud, right? But he discipled a dozen guys during his earthly ministry, and then he did his work on the cross. He rose from the dead. He, he left, and then he gave them the job, and that is to, by extension – Includes us, he gave them the job of discipling the next wave and the next wave and the next wave. And here we are 2,000 years later. But so many churches just are filled with consumer Christians who come to church and they think that the full life that Jesus wants for them boils down to those first two things. And then that's it. Trust Jesus for salvation. Check, I did that, right? I got baptized. I'm, I'm trying to read my Bible every day. I try to go to church. I try to give. I try to tithe. All that stuff is great, but if you're missing this last thing, I think you're missing out on real maturity, because one of the things that we've discovered, and it's very biblical, is that you actually can't grow, you can't mature, un- truly mature, until you start helping someone else to follow Jesus.
2: Yeah, I, you know, to me, I think for the women that I've taken the pursuit through, I'm sorry, women that I've brought through the pursuit, I think... What's important for those of you that might feel like, is this for me? What what value does, does this pursuit have for me? Well, the value is you having the awesome opportunity of walking with someone else to discover the amazing truth of who Jesus is and what he did for them. To learn how to live, to honor God in their life. I mean, there's a lot of conversations that people can have. Um, as people discover what it means to live to honor God. So for those of you that ha- have thought, I mean, how many times have I talked to women that are like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what to say. I, I wouldn't know how to talk to someone about X, Y, or Z. Well, this is why their pursuit is helpful for you, that it's a tool that you can use to walk with someone in their pursuit. So for the more mature people out there, see this as you're teaching somebody else these truths, and as you teach, you're going to learn and grow, and, and develop even greater insights into God's love, even for you. You're going to grow as you help.
1: Yeah, and that that's so true, because you know when, gosh, I, I've seen it over and over again, seen it in my own life and my in my family and who who follow Christ. That when you engage, you have to grow. It's like you have to find an answer. You have to trust the Holy Spirit and depend on Him to go beyond what you have done. And so, so I'd like to. If, you're, if you've been a Christian for a while and you're listening to this, I'd like you to not just listen to it for what can this say to me, again, that's kind of the consumer mentality we're talking about, but listen to it from, hey, how can I master these principles in a way that I could share them with someone else? But, you know, I'd say, you know, as we look at this picture, this full circle picture, we're saying this is a full life that Jesus has for us and it's so it's so amazing to think okay first of all it answers the question of our identity who am i i i I, i'm a new creation in christ it answers the question of how should i live my life it answers the question of what's my purpose and meaning in life and so what i mean that's a full life Mm -hmm. and 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 jesus has invited us because he loves us we've seen this is the heart of god he invites us into not just an eternity a blissful eternity with him. But he invites us into this awesome life that, that gives us identity and, and purpose and, and definition. And that's what we're inviting people into.
0: And we'll talk more about that in Lessons 10, 11, and 12 of this series. That's where we'll talk about why make disciples, how to actually do it. We'll really take a, a little bit of a deeper dive on the process, which I think if you've, if you've made it to Topic 11 by the time we get to that, it'll, you'll, you will have learned it. Because really, all we're doing here... Is we're saying the way you disciple someone is by is by engaging in their in their life, taking them through a series like the Pursuit this this twelve week series. Now there are other topics at Pursue God. Thousands of other topics that you can use as well to have those conversations. But this is the sort of the flagship. This is the simplest approach to it. Is is at some point when I'm just dis- the people that I disciple, I might cover some introductory topics with them for a while at PursueGod.org to kind of scratch the itch a little bit for them but at some point i'm going to say hey you want to go through the pursuit with me and that's when we get through these 12 essentials and they and i make sure that they understand what is sin who is jesus how do i respond in faith and and what does it mean to live a life that honors god but then i again then i can finish up with helping them become a disciple maker because my goal isn't just to help people become christians our goal is to help people become disciple makers so just as just as as where Just as someone led me through this, I'm going to lead someone else through it, and that's the beautiful simplicity of the Pursue God resources and, and this series called The Pursuit. So there's one more truth that we need to cover for today, and, and it's, it's it kind of is related to this other theme verse that we have behind the resources at PursueGod.org, and here's the truth. God wants to be found by you, and he has made the first move the next step then is up to you. So, you know, long before you even thought about pursuing God, he was already pursuing you. We actually see this in David's words in Psalm 139, verse 16. He says, this is a prayer to God. He says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. It's interesting to read that verse because we actually know a lot of the story of David, probably more than just about any other character in the Bible. He had a really complicated story. He was this almost forgotten shepherd boy. He ends up growing up to be a king. Along the way, he fought battles. He gained fame. He experienced a lot of tragedy in his life, especially as a dad, as a husband. So Psalm 139 here was probably penned by David as an older man, and he had seen it all, and he was just starting to make sense of life, and he was learning that God had been there all along. It's almost like he looks back on his life and he says, you had been there through all the ups and downs. It turns out you were here all along, even when I didn't think you were here, even when I didn't recognize your presence. You were God was fully invested in David's story, even before David's story began. That's what Psalm 139 is saying. And the same is true for everyone who's listening right now. Again, some people, you might, you might think there's no way God takes that kind of interest in me. But he does. That's why you're listening to this podcast right now. That's why you're here. There's a reason you're here. It's not by chance. God is interested in you. And he, he, he saw this moment, this moment right now. He saw it before you even ever did.
2: Yeah, I say go on the journey you know, for me, it was coming back, coming back. Maybe some of you have pursued God in the past. Life derailed you. Come back and, and, and pursue this God who loves you and has uh, great plans for your life.
0: Yeah, and I've got one, just one more verse, and this is Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. This is sort of the theme verse of the Pursue God resources. This is where we came, came up with our name in the first place all those years ago. And, and the background for this is that some, some people imagine that God is playing this cruel game of hide-and-seek with them. You know, the Bible is a big book. Some people might be listening to this right now saying, this sounds daunting. The Bible is a big book. Churches are intimidating. I go into a church, and I feel out of place there. You know, God seems so complicated to so many people. But in the midst of all this confusion, God makes this simple promise in Jeremiah 29, 13. And here it is. Here's his promise. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Now, that wasn't just a promise to the people in that day that the prophet Jeremiah was speaking to. Ross, I believe that that promise extends to us. I believe that that speaks to God's heart toward us, that he wants to be found by you. He's not some faraway uninterested deity. He wants a personal relationship with each one of us. He's been working since the beginning of time to make it happen, and, and so God wants this for us. So I guess the question is what is our part in that, right? When he says, if you look, there's an if there. It's conditional. If you look for me wholeheartedly. What do you think he means by that when he says that?
1: Well, he says, okay, the, the idea is, look, I, I need to, there's some fundamental way that I'll incline myself toward a discovery of God. And it does, so that's what we're, we're not asking anybody to join a church or to make to sign up for a plan, a program, or give money, or anything else like that. We're saying, look, here's the deal. If you would take just a the step toward God, just start a journey, one step to figure out, like, it, to ask the question, what is God like, and how does he relate to me? And then begin to discover. Start the journey, begin to discover who God is, and he'll be there. So... There are three quick little things we want to tell you just as you're
0: beginning this journey. And if you're going to take this series, hopefully you'll take this series with a small group or with your family or one-on-one with a mentor. You can find all these resources at PursueGod.org forward slash go. And here are the commitments that we want you to make. Just three simple commitments. Number one, come prepared for a conversation. If you're meeting every week, come prepared. So that means watch the video, maybe take some notes, think about some of the questions that are there. Every every topic, every lesson has a video and some talking points and some questions. It's really simple. So number one, come prepared, come ready. Number two, be willing to talk and listen. So be willing to share your insights, share your questions. There's no stupid question, right? Be willing to share that, but also be willing to listen. Listen to your mentor or your small group leader. Listen to God as you, as you read his word. So be willing to talk and listen. And then number three, take detours if needed. What I mean by that is you might be on topic three or topic four, and you feel like you need to spend a little bit more time on that subject. We've got all kinds of additional topics on each of these subjects. So don't feel like you need to go through the pursuit in 12 continuous weeks. It might take you you know, three months to get through it, or sorry, that is 12 weeks. It might take you six months to get through it. It might take you a year to get through it. It's not a race. Remember, the pursuit of God is not a destination. It's a journey. You're on a journey and you're learning as you go. So make those commitments. And, and I, let me just say this, you know, in the next lesson, we're going to talk about why we can trust the Bible. The reason we feel like that's important for lesson two is because we believe that God has revealed himself in his word, in the Bible. We've, we've looked at a lot of scripture right, right now in this lesson. So before we go any further, we want to just address this. like, How can I even trust that the Bible is, is worth listening to? How do I know it's not just a bunch of baloney and you're fooling me and you're pulling the wool over my eyes? We're going to address that in the next lesson. Now, some of you might not care that much, but there are a lot of you that are like, that's exactly what I need next. I need to learn about why the Bible is reliable, this ancient document. Why can we know that it's reliable? That's what we'll cover next time. So join us as we continue on the pursuit of God. Hey listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also, don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.